Listener supported and volunteer powered. A voice of many voices. WERU health-related programming is made possible in part by the Mabel Wadsworth Women's Health Center, providing comprehensive reproductive and sexual health services for all women of all ages at all stages since 1984. Insurance, main care, Deergo, and self-pay accepted. MabelWadsworth.org. The time is 10 o'clock and you are tuned to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor, and streaming online at WERU.org. Healthy Options with your host, Andre Bella, is up next. Good morning. This is Healthy Options, a program where we talk about integrative health therapies. I'm Andre Bella, your host for today. Today we're going to be speaking with Dr. Jeffrey Long about his new book, Evidence of the Afterlife, The Science of Near-Death Experiences. This book was published in January of 2010, and it's based on a great deal of research by Dr. Long. Dr. Long, welcome to the program. Well, it's good to be here, Andre. We've got a lot to talk about. We certainly do. We're so happy to hear you uh, on the show with us today. Um, Jeffrey Long, MD, is a leading near-death experience researcher. Dr. Long founded the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation. Over 10 years of research has gone into Dr. Long's study of over 2,000 near-death experiences. And this is by far the largest scientific study of near-death experiences ever presented. A nationally recognized expert whose work has been featured in Newsweek, The Wall Street Journal, and Coast to Coast, Jeffrey Long, MD, is a radiation oncologist in Houma, Louisiana. Long has served on the board of directors of the International Association for Near-Death Studies and is actively involved in near-death experience research. Dr. Long and his wife, Jody, established the nonprofit Near-Death Experience Research Foundation and a website as a forum for people to share their near-death experiences and to collect scientific data on this phenomenon. We do have a lot to talk about, and I'm just so glad to have you on the show this morning, Dr. Long. Well, the, the pleasure is mutual. I'd like to start, I guess, with the most obvious question. What is a near-death experience? Yeah, good question. Uh, a lot of people have a lot of different impressions about what that is, but scientifically speaking, it's exactly what the term means. It's composed of two terms, near-death. In other words, you are so close to death that you're generally unconscious and may actually be clinically dead with no heartbeat and no spontaneous respiration. But at the time that you're near death, as the term near-death experience implies, when you're unconscious and it should be medically impossible to have an experience, they do have an experience, the experience with consistent elements that are seen not only in my work but in the scores of other researchers doing work in this area. I want to remind everyone listening that this is uh, actually a call-in show. And so Dr. Long and I are going to be talking uh, until the half hour. Then we'll be opening up the phone lines. And I'm going to give you that number right now so you can write it down. It's 866-625-9378. I, I have a, a, a question that I've been thinking about off and on here. How did you um, personally get involved in being an MD and all? How did you get involved in this research? 
we know that's an interesting story. I was during my residency training uh, over two decades ago going through one of the most prestigious medical journals in the world, the Journal of the American Medical Association, and totally by accident I came across an article that had the term near-death experience in the title. Now, I stopped and paused because nothing I'd ever encountered in all of my medical training had prepared me for such a term. I said, you're either dead or you're not dead. How can that be? So upon reading the article, I was immediately fascinated. Uh, I was in awe at the concept that people could have these remarkable, highly ordered, lucid experiences at a time that they were unconscious. And I knew medically, if you're unconscious, you, you can't have any conscious remembrance during that time. And yet here were people all around the world having these types of experiences. And so I remember thinking somewhat prophetically, gosh, uh, why aren't more people doing research on this? It was actually two years later I had a friend visiting me from doing my residency in Iowa, and his wife described over supper an absolutely jaw-dropping near-death experience. And from that time forward, I said I simply, when, my, when the time is right in my life, have to research this myself and find out more about near-death experience. Mm-hmm. Um, well, tell me about about how many people or what percentage of the population actually have these experiences. Sure. Uh, no two near-death experiences are the same, but uh, surveys had done, actually the biggest one was, was published by Gallup in 1982 and estimated that perhaps as many as 5% of the United States adult population has had a near-death experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and what about, how does this uh, pan out as far as age-wise and geographic location. I know you have a lot in the book about uh, different cultures that experience these near-death experiences. Talk a little yeah. about that. Oh, yeah. That's one of the real mysteries of near-death experience, and that was part of my research, even in very young children, age five and under, and from people that live all around the world, uh, male, female, no matter what their religious background belief was or lack of religious belief at the time of their experience seems to make absolutely no difference in either the probability of them having a near-death experience at the time of a life-threatening event, or if they do have a near-death experience, what the content will be. Uh, one of the great mysteries enduring in the study of near-death experience. We still have you there, or have we lost you? Oh, gosh, no, I'm right <laughs> okay. here. But you know what? I'll tell you what, though. Um, I'm going to have to step out for about two minutes to do a real quick check on a patient on our accelerator table, and I'll be right back with you. Okay. And we, when I come back, we might talk a little bit about what exactly happens during a near-death experience. I'm sure your listeners would be very interested. I'll be right with you, Andre. Okay. Um, I thought maybe what I could cover while Dr. Long uh, is out for a little bit is that in his book, he talks about the nine li- uh, lines of evidence presented in his book that support the reality of near-death experiences and their consistent message saying that there actually is an afterlife. And, of course, we know that in many of the major religions, um, afterlife, the existence of an afterlife is talked about and is part of that religious belief. And yet we seem to know very little about it from our earthly perspective. So Dr. Long has presented these nine lines of evidence, and I thought maybe I would just go over those briefly while he is out, and hopefully he'll be back with us very soon. Um, number one is called crystal clear consciousness, and, and that people experience a level of consciousness and alertness during these near-death experiences that's actually even greater than what they experience in everyday life. Um, and these occur when a person is 
unconscious or actually clinically dead. This high level of consciousness, uh, while physically unconscious, is medically not possible. And this makes for some very interesting uh, research. Um, additionally, the elements of the near-death experience kind of follow a same consistent and logical order. And as he mentioned, this seems to be the same in all age groups and around the world. Um, and it doesn't matter, seem to matter whether the near-death experience is told immediately after it happens, you know, like the following day or the following week, or whether people talk about it a decade later. The experiences seem to be so profound that people have a crystal clear recollection of, you know, of what they saw and what happened to them. And, and I thought maybe I would tell an interesting little story that I know from my own reading. Years ago, back in the 70s, I read a book called Saved by the Light, and I can't remember the author. But um, I was quite impressed with the idea that he was very much afraid to tell anyone of his experience because people thought that he was mentally ill. And he, eventually uh, he tried to tell his wife, and his wife actually, their marriage fell apart. They were divorced, and he actually began to believe that he was mentally unstable. And he eventually met up with Dr. Raymond Moody, who was one of the very first earliest people to study uh, near-death experiences. So um, I think a lot of the work that Dr. Long is doing is so valuable because it's allowing people to share their experiences. His, his website is truly incredible, and I would suggest all of you to take a look at it. Um, you'll find that website at www.ndefr.org. So that stands for Near Death Experience Research Foundation. And it's one of the most comprehensive websites that I've ever seen. I think you could spend weeks on this website. But it is a place, it's a website that's interactive, so it means that people can um, submit their near-death experiences online. There are blogs and forums. Um, there are uh, any number of people that are available to talk to you in confidentiality if you've had this kind of experience and you want to talk to someone about it. Um, the website is truly amazing, and I know there were something like 2,000 accounts on the website, and now I think it's up to about 2,500. Yeah, that's, you got that right. We've got, we keep getting new experiences every week, Andre, and we keep posting them, and we're, you're right, we have now have over 2,500 experiences, uh, mainly near-death experiences, but also a variety of other experiences on the site. I think it's just a, a, a pretty amazing website, and I, I would certainly suggest that all of our viewers uh, do go to that website. It's www.nderf.org. Yeah, we actually, interestingly, we have somewhere between 350 and 400,000 pages read every single month on that website. It's the largest public, publicly accessible uh, collection of near-death experiences in the world. So there's some fascinating and remarkable reading there for anyone. And actually, I might add too, Andre, the website has been translated into over 20 different languages. So literally, people all around the world are able to read the near-death experiences and share those experiences in their native language. Mm -hmm. Would you kind of um, 
guide us through what the typical person might experience in a, in a near-death experience so our listeners really understand what we're talking about here? Sure. Again, no two near-death experiences are the same, but all of us researchers that have looked at large numbers of experiences see very consistent patterns in how near-death experiences occur. The first thing that happens, of course, is that life-threatening event, um, you know, car accident, heart attack. I mean, all there's that truly close brush with death where the person is so physically compromised that they're unconscious, and if they don't get better, they'll irreversibly permanently die. And yet at that time of unconsciousness, the near-death experience begins. Often one of the first things that happens is that consciousness separates from the body. Often the point of consciousness is over the body, and we have uh, literally hundreds of accounts describing their dramatic resuscitation efforts uh, now by you're the medical meaning team. Literally, physically, this idea of people being out of their body and seeing Oh, yeah, they're seeing and hearing. Yeah, their consciousness is above their body. They're not thinking, seeing, hearing from their physical body. Their point of consciousness is is not a little above their body. Typically, it's often at ceiling height, uh, typically around an average, if you will, 12, 14 feet above their body. So their consciousness is well separated from their body. And from that vantage point, they can see and hear ongoing earthly events called the out-of-body experience. Um, often the first thing that occurs in a near-death experience. Following that, they may go through a tunnel. The tunnel is variably described, and often at the end of the tunnel, there's a light. Uh, The light is nothing like what we know on Earth. It's mystical. In fact, one near-death experiencer said it was as bright as a million times a million suns, and yet it never hurts their eyes to look at it. Uh, They often feel a sense of love and compassion. The light seems to in some way be alive. Often they're in these unearthly realms that are popularly called heavenly realms, and, and that's not hard to understand why. In these unearthly realms, there may be other people, there may be buildings of incredible beauty, there may be landscapes that are beautiful beyond anything on Earth. And in fact, near-death experiencers often describe colors that are so beautiful in these unearthly realms that they have no correlate with colors on Earth. They may hear music that is unearthly in its beauty and something that simply is beyond something that can be reproduced here on Earth. Uh, and, and, of course, they'll, they'll spend some time in these unearthly realms, and while there, they may have what's called a life review. They may see part or even all of their prior life. They may encounter people they knew on Earth that had died, deceased loved ones. Uh, these are not ghost-like re- encounters. These are joyous reunions. Lots of communication and, and sharing goes on with the people they knew on uh, the Earth that had died and, and left them. And very often near the end of the experience, there will be a decision about whether they should return to their earthly body. Now, this is where it's interesting in near-death experiences. Even though they've lived their earthly life for many, many years, decades, all their friends, families, and, and loved ones live throughout their, their prior earthly life, and yet the overwhelming majority of near-death experiencers don't want to leave these unearthly realms and return to their earthly life. Uh, understand the great majority of near-death experiencers at this time feel overwhelming sense of love, compassion, connectedness, peace. They really, deep down in every fiber of their being, believe that in these unearthly realms is their true home and that their earthly life really is not their true home. But, but ultimately, the decision is made them return to their earthly life, and then after they recover from what nearly killed them, they have the remarkable near-death experience to share. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and how there's a lot in your book about how this affects people 
uh, emotionally and spiritually when they do return. And of course, they do have to recover from whatever their physical ailment was, and that sometimes involves a lot of pain. But what is their, how are they changed as people afterwards? Yeah, the changes that occur after a near-death experience, as you can imagine, having such a dramatic event is a profound life event. And the great, great majority of people that have a near-death experience are changed and, and often changed dramatically. Now, the interesting thing to note is that even after such a profound experience, to fully manifest the changes in their life following the experience takes an average of seven years. It's actually a gradual plot process change for any of us, no matter what the impetuous, even if an event as dramatic as a near-death experience has occurred, is slow. However, when people finally have thought about their experience in every way possible, considered it, and learned from it in every way that they can, we see a very consistent pattern of changes, again called after-effects. Uh, these people, of course, have essentially no fear of death. And the reason is very simple. They face death, they understand that they died, and they know what lies beyond death is a wonderful afterlife for all of us. Uh, in addition to that, they, of course, they believe in an afterlife almost uniformly because they experienced it. And they, they know that that's uh, a very joyous, beautiful, wonderful place that we all have after we die. But in addition to that, they, they value loving relationships much more, just like the example you gave earlier. I actually believe that was Daniel Brinkley that wrote yes. that book. Somebody here and, in the uh, station just uh, gave me a note. Okay. So people in the yeah. station are really into this, hey, this story oh, here. <laughs> that, outstanding. Yeah. Congratulations to the yeah. people. that. Uh, yes, uh, but that, and, and like with Daniel, over and over we have, uh, you know, people that, that look at relationships differently. They're going to leave dysfunctional, unloving relationships and actively seek out loving, positive relationships. And indeed, that may result in a significant change. They may do a different job. If they were selling used cars, uh, they may want to uh, change their professions to something that is a loving, healing type of relationship uh, where they can use their, their increased compassion for their fellow human beings in a positive way. And that's, uh, we see that over and over. And they become much less materialistic. Uh, they realize that what's valuable on earth is uh, love, relationships, sharing, growing, learning, understanding, and um, other values that they held before that, that that were opposed to those new values they have, they're, they're much less interested in. I want to remind um, all our listeners, first of all, you're listening to WERU, your community radio station. This is 89.9 Blue Hill and 99.9 Bangor. And this morning, we're talking with uh, Dr. Jeffrey Long about his new book, Evidence of the Afterlife. Um, uh, and the science of near-death experiences. This is a call-in show. I want to give that number again. It's 866-625-9378. And at the half hour after we take a break, we will um, be opening up the phone line so you can call in with your questions and comments. And I imagine there's going to be a, a lot of uh, activity on the line, so I would urge you to call in early so that we're able to accommodate everyone. Um, I think, uh, Dr. Long, when we hear all of these stories, there are always these skeptics that say, you know, give, give me proof. And I, I think this is the incredible thing about your book, because um, it seems to me that in the past, research has been done on very small groups of people reporting these experiences. And I, I was so impressed with the amount of research you've done and the number of people that, that you've interviewed. Um, what are, you know, and some of these skeptic uh, things that come up, wh what are some of these explanations and why don't they really pass? 
Yeah, good question, Andre. And, and actually, I was certainly very interested in skeptical alternative explanations because as a physician and scientist, you know, I knew that the appropriate study of near-death experiences would be to consider any and all possible explanations, and I did. What I found, Andre, is that there are over 20 of these so-called skeptical alternative explanations. They cover the entire gamut of physiological, psychological, or culturally determined causes for what's observed in near-death experience. Now, the reason that there are so many of these skeptical so-called explanations is very simple, and that is there's no one or several skeptical explanations, it makes sense even to the skeptics. I mean, think of it, if you had one or several so-called explanations that made sense and really looked like it it, it really actually described what we see with near-death experience, you wouldn't have to keep finding more and more explanations, and yet you do. Just an example of one of these 20 explanations, just to get the flavor of what we have to deal with in the near-death experience research world, the very famous Stephen Hawking, the famous physicist, once proposed that near-death experiences were obviously caused, at least the tunnel part of the near-death experience, was obviously caused by remembrance of birth. In other words, passing down the birth canal, you're in darkness, and then you pass into light. Mm -hmm. Well, the near-death experience research community found a few near-death experiencers that had been born by cesarean section. They never passed down through a birth canal, and so as a result of that, uh, Dr. Hawking became much quieter after that about mm-hmm. possible causes of near-death experience. That is, sort of gives you the flavor of, of the, uh, uh, the stretch that, that even very credible and very uh, sincere people will go to to try to explain a near-death experience phenomena and how, how poorly they, the uh, skeptical explanations come to explaining anything that we observe in mm-hmm. near-death experiences. Yeah, I, I remember something in your book, too, when it talks about people... Um, people um, having seeing deceased relatives. And I think there was one very interesting story about someone who didn't know that they'd had a younger sibling. Yes. Yeah, talk about that a little bit. We had, well, you know, I'll, uh, gosh, that's in the book. Um, interestingly, we just had another one come along just a couple weeks ago. We have a small series of these already. Um, the one that's freshest in my mind was a nurse shared this experience. She was nine years old, and she slipped and, and banged her head severely on a pole, was immediately unconscious, had that out-of-body experience I described up over her body. And from that vantage point there, while she was in her out-of-body state, she encountered some deceased relatives. She had a, a deceased stepfather that she knew and loved, and there was uh, a boy. And the boy she immediately recognized, and the boy was, was basically communicating, I am your brother. And yet she did not know she had a brother, uh, and no one had ever told her. In fact, it was literally over 10 years later that her parents finally confirmed, yes, you did indeed have a brother. Your brother died before you were born. And, and parents are often so grief-stricken or so concerned about how a child will handle this kind of devastating news that there's a tendency not to share it with children. And so this person, uh, upon hearing from their parents that indeed she had a brother that was deceased, her immediate reaction is, I know, I saw my brother. We interacted and we communicated. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. I remember another um, part in the book when you're talking about out-of-body experiences which are generally referred to as that o- OBEs, uh, uh-huh. when I think um, a person is hovering on the ceiling and they actually know what's happening down the hall in the hospital. Right. It, yeah. Actually, 
the consciousness can actually pass. In fact, the very first near-death experience I ever heard involved a person who was under general anesthesia. So, of course, consciousness is impossible, right? But then at that time, she had a severe allergic reaction, and her heart stopped. So again, consciousness is, if you will, doubly impossible. And yet at that moment, her consciousness went above her body. She saw her frantic resuscitation efforts. And then her point of consciousness left the operating room and went down to the nursing station of the hospital that she had been hospitalized in. And from that vantage point, she was able to see and hear what nurses were doing far from her physical body, far outside of any possible physical sensory awareness. At a time, she was under general anesthesia, and her heart had stopped and was clinically dead. Um, She later came back after her experience and and, uh, told the the nurses exactly what they were doing, and and they freaked. So, yeah, we see this quite (laughs) regularly. And, of course, you know, no matter what, what skeptical explanation you have, it's absolutely beyond medically impossible for people to be having highly accurate and highly detailed observations far from their physical body, far outside of sensory awareness at a time they're clinically dead. And yet we have, I mean, scores and scores and scores of these experiences. Well, I I think what you're doing uh, with your research is so important because of how many people have had these experiences. And uh, they're, you know, talk a little bit about how, how forthcoming are people about wanting to talk about this? Uh, can they talk to their physicians? I mean, how, how do your colleagues react to your research? You know, it's interesting. It's a mixed bag. I think with the, the powerful evidence in my book, I think people at, le- at a very minimum are saying, wow, there may well be something to this. An awful lot of doctors I work with are just fascinated. They read mm. the book and they say, I get this. You know, we've done CPR on people that are died. We know people that are unconscious. And for people to be having these types of experiences consistently worldwide and with a consistent pattern of elements that's, that's verifiable, as you've done, discussed in your research, Dr. Long, and, and other researchers have described, has made a lot of people believers in the area that I'm at. Um, so that we're seeing more and more. I think no doubt about that now more than ever, more people are sharing their near-death experiences with others and even with physicians and other healthcare professionals uh, closer to the time of the near-death experience than we ever saw before. Um, you know, before near-death experiences were widely known, when before Raymond Moody wrote his book in 1975, Life After Life, that first described near-death experiences, of course physicians thought, geez, people are nuts, like what Daniel Brinkley ran into that yeah. you described earlier. Yeah. And yet, nowadays, near-death experience is so widely known and, and frankly so much more widely respected than it was back then, that more and more people are finding it to be a very, very positive experience when they share with others, including even healthcare professionals. Mm -hmm. Well, in in reading your book and also reading your website and also in in doing this show with you, um, I think it would be my hope that more people would feel free to share these experiences if they have them, and that also those of us who haven't had them would be um, compassionate uh, in listening to what other people have to say and, you know, not criticizing them or thinking that they're crazy and realizing that there's some real scientific evidence that shows that these things do happen. Yeah, yeah one of the most established medical facts has come out since near-death experiences were first described, um, you know, Uh, all those 35 years ago, is without a shadow of a doubt, near-death experiences are absolutely real experiences. They really occur. They really are experienced by vast numbers of people, and beyond any shadow of a doubt, people that have near-death experiences are not crazy. And in fact, 
What studies we have suggest, if anything, they're more mentally healthy than people that have not had a near-death experience. Very interesting. Yes, very interesting. Um, I also, I know we sort of talk about the typical thing of someone's in a car accident or they have a heart attack or something, but I thought it was interesting, too, that there are also a great number of people who have suicide attempts, and they also have near-death experiences that seem to be exactly the same as everybody else's. Yes, even for the people, we have, of course, a large number of people whose near-death experience resulted from suicide. Now, the interesting thing is exactly as you said, Andre, their experiences, the content of the experience is exactly the same as all other near-death experiences that occur from all other causes. But the one thing that's interesting is that if you have a person who attempted suicide and had a near-death experience, they almost certainly will not attempt suicide at any other time in their life. And people that attempt suicide and don't have a near-death experience are at much higher risk of attempting suicide later. For the people that commit suicide and have a near-death experience, the reason they don't try to commit suicide again is that they learn from their experience how important life is. They very clearly understand that suicide is absolutely not the answer. Uh, they become much more uh, interested and much more positive about their life. And if you will, it seems to be have a powerful type of healing for them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I do want to remind listeners that in a few minutes, we are going to be opening up the phone lines to your questions and comments, and that number is 866-625-9378. I know that we've had some people even here at the radio station who have been looking forward to this show and have, you know, expressed that they have, uh, uh, one person said that, yes, he'd had a near-death experience, and he really wanted to share that. So I think this is something that's very common uh, throughout the general population everywhere. And I know that in your book you have these nine lo- lines of evidence of an afterlife, and I thought, uh-huh. I don't know if we'll have time, depending on how many phone calls we get, to go through those, but I thought maybe, maybe we, should, we should go through those. Yeah, sure, of course. You know, having a lucid, conscious experience when you're clinically dead is obviously medically impossible. These out-of-body observations um, that occur in the highly accurate, realistic observations are are for real. Interestingly, near-death experiences in the blind, even totally blind from birth, have been reported. And, of course, that's medically inexplicable. And these near-death experiences are highly visual. And so as a result of that, that's, you know, further powerful evidence that there's something going on in near-death experience that is not, does not involve normal physical brain functioning. Yeah, it um, actually seemed as though um, most of it was telepathic. I, I, I didn't hear anything yes. about any speaking, hearing a voice or hearing sounds, but I, but I didn't uh, read anything about verbal communication that seemed to be telepathic. Yeah, there is, verbal communication doesn't exist during near-death experiences, and telepathy is, is sort of a, a, a somewhat of a descriptor of it. Actually, during near-death experiences, there's a transmission of concepts, uh, even emotions, and sort of a profound, deep sharing at a non-physical, non-vocal level, uh, and often it goes at very, very high speed. And that's the, the uh, we see that 99% of the time in near-death experiences is the type of communication described. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We yeah. are going to take a, a short break here, and I will give that calling number again. It's 866-625-9378, and we will be back with Dr. Long in just a minute.
Healthy Options. Welcome back. We've been talking to Dr. Jeffrey Long about his new book, um, Evidence of the Afterlife and the Science of Near-Death Experiences. And we have opened the phone lines. And we do have, I will repeat that number one more time, 866-625-9378. And we do have a caller on the line. Go ahead, caller. Hi. 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 Good morning. Uh, good Hello. morning. Thanks for the great program. Oh, thank you for listening. Um, yeah, my uh, my experience uh, is fueled. My, my brother killed himself, and other events have made me very interested in the subject. And I've had an out-of-body uh, out experience when I was a little kid. It's a vague memory, but uh, going out the window. And uh, I thought that perhaps a, uh, a better phrase might be a crossover experience. Than, uh, than a near-death experience because uh, evidence is leading to the con more and more connection uh, and, uh, between, quote, life and death, unquote. And uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm a word guy. Also, I've seen the, uh, the movie Resurrection, which I thought was a, a good, uh, a healthy, uh, that was with Ellen Burstyn and I believe Sam... I can't remember who the guy was. That was, and uh, no, I'm, I'm just uh, thank you for the program, and uh, I'm just wondering if you have a phone number since I'm not online um, to continue the conversation. Um, Doctor Long, do you have a phone number? Yeah, not immediately available. If you can find a family friend or coworker that that has the uh, uh, that has access to my website, we have uh, email links all over that. That's our preferred way of communicating. Right, I understand that. And by the way, I agree with you. Scholars in the study of near-death experience do agree with what basically most people that have had a near-death experience is. They're adamant that they weren't quote near death unquote. They're adamant that they literally died. And so the the concept of it being, of course, when when Raymond Moody first described near-death experience in 1975, the name stuck. But I think as we learn more about it, you are indeed uh, much a much more accurate description. Is exactly as you said. It is a crossover experience. That, that would certainly right. be more accurate for a description of what is actually occurring during near-death experiences. Yeah, and uh, the uh, I'm I'm in more interested in computers for how they work rather than getting practical results. And I keep coming to the idea that the uh, uh, the technical the uh, digital revolution uh, points right to uh, what we're talking about. I'm th and I'm thinking of the cloud. Uh, that certainly points to consciousness uh, outside the body, with you know, without a uh, physical body. And that just uh, it keeps coming up. Of course, I I'm looking for it, but uh, that doesn't necessarily mean it's not true. Yeah, there's more and more scholarly research, and even beyond near-death experience research, all pointing to the fact that consciousness can exist apart from the physical body. Probably near-death experience is the strongest line of evidence on that, but there's certainly a lot more. Uh, it's probably going to take a while for that to really sink in among other scientists, because that's going to be a real shift in, in how conventional science has looked at the brain and consciousness in the past. Well, thank you so much for uh, for this program, and I'll uh, make room for other callers. Good. Well, thank you. Thanks. Thanks for calling. Thanks for calling. Yeah, I mean, I think you mentioned in the book this whole idea of the near-death experience is recorded back as far as Plato, and that's just when it, things were first recorded. So this is certainly something that people have been talking about for a very long time. 
Yeah, absolutely. That, you know, mm-hmm. 2000, over 2,000 years ago. So near-death experiences go way, way back. Mm-hmm. And I think when the caller talked about his brother um, committing suicide, that's such a tragic event uh, for a, a family to have to go through. But when you hear these experiences of people and what happens to them, I think it gives us all hope that no matter how someone has passed on, um, the experience on that other side of crossing that line is, is one of love and, and, and positive joy. Yeah, I, and I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, every shred of evidence that I have, and, and it even goes beyond evidence that I presented in the book. I will have a second book out, <laughs> and we'll go into oh, more good. detail, <laughs> believe it or not. But, um, yeah, there's no question that there seems to be the, the great universal reality is that there is a, uh, we have, the all of us have the ability to enter into a wonderful afterlife. Um, mm-hmm. and, and even if we, with a tragic demise, like with suicide, uh, there's still an afterlife, a wonderful afterlife. In fact, I would mm-hmm. submit to the last caller, his brother is in a much, much better place than you and I. Mm-hmm. And I think that also in the death of children, that's, that's such a yeah. tragic thing for families. And this really does, does give people hope that their loved one is in a good place, and it's real. I think that's the basic thing. It's real. Oh, it, it really is. And, you know, I'm, as a radiation oncologist, previously I've treated children with radiation therapy that had cancer, and most of them were ultimately going to die. And, and no doubt, even then, my, my research helped strengthen me and helped me work with families, which is probably just about the most devastating mm-hmm. thing that can happen to any family oh, at yes. any time, oh. is a, a cancer in a child. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And talk about, in the book, you actually talked about some... Uh, Miraculous recoveries. Yeah. I mean, good gosh. Um, <laughs> Those were amazing. <laughs> yeah, it is. And I'm, I, it's, that, that's a, a, a difficult pill for me to swallow, even as a doctor, if you will. <laughs> because, you know, I mean, good gosh. And yet, you know, again, I'm evidence-based, though, and, and, and that's why I put a portion of, of the book. I just said I cannot ignore the evidence here. We have a number of near-death experiences where I know, reading the account medically, it is, you know, you hate to use the term miracle, but from the evidence I see, I think that's a reasonable term. Uh, one very dramatic one was uh, what we call Anita M. Interestingly, she was from Singapore, so this was actually a non-Western experience, and I might add non-Western country near-death experiences are, are just like Western near-death experiences in terms of content, but Anita was very close to death, and actually all her vital organs were failing as a result of uh, Hodgkin lymphoma, and at that time, she had her near-death experience, and she was given a choice to uh, stay in the unearthly realms in the afterlife or to return to her earthly body, and, and amazingly, she became aware that a blood test that had been drawn would show that her organs were continuing to fail if she chose to stay in the afterlife, or the blood test that had been previously drawn would show her organs were recovering if she chose to return to life. She chose to return to life. The blood test came back, and her doctors bounced into her room delighted. Look, your organs are recovering. It's amazing. It's uh, beyond belief. And so that... No, med- no medical explanation for that whatsoever. That is pretty... That is pretty amazing. I suppose it just shows us that anything truly is possible. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Or that, or yeah. That maybe there's lots we still don't, don't understand. Yeah, we're still studying those near-death experiences, and there, there's certainly a number of them that come out to point to uh, healing that is, at a very minimum, astounding. And, uh, you know, it may, if, it, like I said, I'd be very cautious to call it medically inexplicable, but 
the data is mounting. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, tell me, uh, what's, what's your new book going to be about? What kind of research are you doing now? Well, we're taking a deeper look. I mean, gosh, even Raymond Moody saw 14 elements of near-death experience, and as should be no surprise if there's so many elements identified, there's probably a whole lot more, and indeed there are. So with my next book, we're going to be taking a the largest, again, data set of near-death experiences by far ever studied. We're going to be looking at the deeper content. The new book is tentatively t entitled Evidence of God and the Afterlife. Now, we're going to take a much deeper look at uh, the evidence of an afterlife, and we're going to start to find some, I think, what a lot of people consider very strong evidence for the reality of a overwhelmingly loving and compassionate and knowledgeable God in that as an important critical part of that afterlife. Mm -hmm. We have another caller on the line. Caller, are you there? Yes. Go ahead. Uh, my name is Parker, and I had a near-death, what Hi, I call Parker. a near-death experience. Mm -hmm. Would you like to share that with us? Um, it happened a long time ago. Uh, happened back in 1951 when I was seven, and it was a drowning experience. Uh-huh. And uh, I, I felt like I was being sucked down, tumbling, and frantically, fiercely struggling to claw to the surface. And after what seemed an eternity to me, I entered into a space of silence and peace. And then in a nanosecond, everything that I had ever seen flashed before my eyes in reverse. Um, and I was floating free over my body and looking back at myself after the after all of those images passed in in all in in reverse then i seemed to float back and look back at myself and and then it was as if whatever my was in my eyes i turned in and moved up this narrow what i thought was a staircase toward this brilliant bright cold light and uh, my, uh, apparently I was dragged out of the water, and my uncle revived me. And after I was revived, I told my mother what I'd, had happened to me, and she said, I must be imagining these, these things. And my, my understanding now, which doesn't mean that it's not going to change, but my understanding now is that my life-giving energy was released. That was what I experienced at, at that moment. And I don't think at this time I don't think there is an afterlife for me uh, well thanks for sharing that that's amazing wow 50 years ago um, the uh, I'm, I'm kind of curious as to why you don't think there's an afterlife for you because I just feel as if uh, what I experienced was the release of the life energy oh, okay, in, in me and that's that that life energy when it gets concentrated uh, into a form is, is, is the being that I am. Yeah, yeah. the overwhelming majority of uh, near-death experience, first of all, thanks for sharing that, you know, very remarkable description of out-of-body experience and the difference emotions, life review, quite remarkable, observing your own body uh, in a light description. Uh, the overwhelming majority of near-death experiencers come to understand that that part of them that, that you described where you're separate from your body and seeing yourself is actually proof to them personally that 
consciousness and basically who we are can exist apart from our physical body. And the way the great majority of near-death experiencers process that information is they say, wow, if I can exist, you know, and especially, good gosh, if you reviewed all your prior life at the age of seven, you know, the reverse, you know, sort of in reverse, which, which has been described, um, you can see how fast your, your mental processing was functioning at that point in time, far beyond anything possible on Earth terms of your the speed of your ability to process that kind of information so most near-death experiencers a great majority actually come to believe that that means that uh, they have the ability for their consciousness their self some have called it the soul to exist apart from their physical body and that's what gives near-death experiencers the confidence that when their physical body dies that part that essence of them that soul that that part of who they really are will go on living just like it happened during their near-death experience now given the fact that you had your experience in 1951, which was, good gosh, 24 years before anyone described near-death experiences, uh, you know, I could certainly understand how you, you wrestled with that for over two decades without, you know, any ability to understand from people that have studied near-death experiences or share them. That I, I wonder if that didn't affect how you ultimately interpreted your experience. Um, I believe that as my life has unfolded, like all the rest of my friends, uh, we all have different experiences, but uh, the learning process uh, or, or awareness process came over time. Uh, I mean, sure. Yeah. still there, Dr. Long? Caller, are you still there? Do we still have you, Parker? Hello? Hello. Okay. Yeah, okay. I'm, I think I'm we're, I think we're back loud, online. There was a loud but I don't know. That what was kind that of was. fun. We, yeah, we had a little uh, ex external um, uh, participation there, I guess. Oh, there we go. Okay. <laughs> Parker, are you still on the line with us? I think we I think we maybe lost him, and we do have okay. another phone call coming in. Um, okay, here we go. We have another caller. Are you on the line, caller? Do we have another caller? Well, I'm not. Yes, we do. Okay. Hello. Good morning. Hello. Hello. Thank you for calling. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Um, my question is. Um, are there any near-death experiences that have reported a not-so-pleasant experience? Uh, yes. Um, a few percent of near-death experiences are what we call frightening. Um, there's a lot of different causes of frightening experiences. In fact, you know, we had one near-death experiencer, for example, who was had their out-of-body experience over the ambulance that was rushing them to the hospital after their life-threatening event. Uh, angels appeared around him, and interestingly, that frightened him, and so he was batting at the angels. 
you know, frightened. So some some parts of near-death experiences are frightening, but it's just an emotional reaction to what I think the great majority of people would consider to be pleasant circumstances, and we do see that. Um, there could be some other components of frightening uh, experience. That there can be some other. Uh, the unfamiliarity of the experience can certainly cause people some fright. The substantial majority of ex- near-death experiences that have frightening components, it'll often be the earlier part of the near-death experience, and then it transitions as time goes on to where they're a typical, highly pleasant and, and blissful and peaceful near-death experience. Uh, they're relatively rare, no more than a percent or so, of uh, truly uh, extremely frightening experiences that often involve hellish imagery. These are real experiences, and yet when you talk to people that have had frightening or even hellish near-death experiences, um, they'll typically say, you know, I really needed that experience, and it was the only way to reach me to really start thinking about some things, asking some questions, and interestingly, even people that have frightening and hellish near-death experiences have that same positive life changes after the experience that we talked about earlier, that being a sense of of a wonderful afterlife for all of us, lack of fear of death, and increased uh, awareness of the meaning and purpose of life as all other near-death experiences. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. Caller, did you want to make another comment about about that? Or I was just wondering why you happen to ask that question. Well, um, I lost um, a daughter a year and a half ago. And mm-hmm. at some point, I picked up um, this book at the library and um, and read part of it. And, and part of it was to, um, I think, reassure myself. Because ever since I had read Raymond Moody's book, years ago, mm-hmm. I felt um, reassured about death, the experience of death. And um, I think I was looking for that. And I, I was vaguely remembering as I was listening to the con- your conversation um, that some experiencers didn't have a good experience. And, but I, I guess I didn't read far enough in the book to realize that they felt that the experience was an important one for them. Yeah, it actually seems to be. Uh, my my take on this is that these, and, and this is based from the near-death experiencers themselves that have had these experiences, is that it's actually oriented towards helping them live their life better. You know, as the near-death experiencers themselves may say, that's the experience I needed at that time in my life to really face some issues in my life and to learn and to go forward being a more loving, compassionate person and basically, if you will, in some way, get my life back. Uh, But there's not a single near-death experiencer that I am aware of that believes from all evidence, we're talking about probably tens of thousands of near-death experiences that all of us have seen, not a single near-death experience researcher believes that we are subject to an involuntary permanent hell. Just to cut it to the quick. (laughs) Well, that's reassuring. And I'm going to hang up now. Thank you. Thank you. you. Thank you very much for your call. Thank you very, very much for your comment. Um, Yeah, I I think that um, there's one question here that's a little bit different that I I thought I wanted to ask, too. That um, Are there any earthly experiences capable of consistently reproducing a near-death experience, including like medications or other substances? Yeah, none whatsoever. In fact, that's one of our survey questions. We ask near-death experiencers if they encountered any experience in their life that reproduces any 
part of their near-death experience, and that's deliberately worded so that any part of their near-death experience reproduced by anything in their life will elicit a positive response. And, you know, out of now over a thousand responses to that question, the answer is basically absolutely no. I mean, there may be some fragments or some remembrances. Dr. Long, we have another caller on the line, so if oh, you yeah, we'll put, do that. Uh, hold on this and we'll come right back to it after sure. the question. Caller, are you there? Yes, I am. Okay, go right Hi, ahead. This Thanks. Is, uh, this is Lee Whitting. I do a show on WERU, mm-hmm. and um, I'm also um, the new editor of the IONS publication, Vital Signs. Oh, great. Lee, oh. greetings, and congratulations on your your new important responsibility there. Thanks. I, I don't know where to begin. I'd like to talk about the term near-death experience because I think it's really a good one. I just wrote an editorial about that. But um, I was wondering if you have, in a, all your conversations with people, uh, encountered people who have cultural or religious crossovers. Um, one of the things that people talk about is meeting Jesus when they're Christian. Do you ever find uh, Jewish or Muslim people having that same experience? It's really, really rare. We had one person who was a a teenager bicycling home from her church, her Christian church, was hit by a car, severely injured, and uh, encountered something that, that seemed to resemble the imagery in the Tibetan Book of the Dead. Uh, I just point that out as, as a fact that it's an extremely rare example. Uh, one thing, we've, we now have a number of near-death experiences where a being will appear to them in the unearthly realms and say, uh, what form would you like for me to take? In other words, there seems to be a desire in near-death experiences that the, the beings or the spirits that appear, if you will, uh, seem to want to take on a form that will be usually familiar or at least comforting to the person having the near-death experience. And I think that explains a lot of what we see in near-death experience in terms of uh, types of beings that occur. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that was that was my question. I'll, uh, hey, give me an brother. email on your uh, definition of near-death experience. That'd be great. Oh, uh, yes. Well, basically, I was I was saying that it really is a good term because uh, to... For, and and what you said earlier about people saying, well, I wasn't near death, I was dead. I yeah. think dead is dead, and, and you don't come back from that. And I referred to a couple of passages from the Bible where Jesus said, she's not dead, this child is not dead, she sleeps, or he sleeps. That uh, it's the kind of sleep that we go through when, even if our heart stopped, even if we're clinically dead. It's that's kind of sleep. That's reasonable because you can sit. Every one of my subjects, uh, Lee, of course, you know, came back to life and shared their account. Uh, mm-hmm. The the ones that are permanently irreversibly dead make terrible research subjects and <laughs> yes, not to respond to survey. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's what we have. As you know, as you know, Lee, that's that's of course what we have. Well, that's, that's outstanding that you're doing that that work with that important organization. Well, you're doing wonderful work too. And uh, and in fact, I just got a doctorate, and I uh, in my doctorate, I I used your material quite a bit. <laughs> wow, I'm flattered. I really appreciate that. I, well, You've done wonderful we research. Do, we do want to just maybe give the listeners a, a little, just explain what IONS is. Uh, the International Association in of Near-Death Studies is a group that was founded, I guess, by Raymond Moody and others mm-hmm. um, back, I think, in the 70s. I've just joined, so I don't have the whole history of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but in any, in any event, they are a, a wonderful resource for people who are interested in near-death studies. And uh, they can look at IONS.org and... We have conferences. We've got a conference coming up um, in September, I believe, in uh, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And uh, all, all that information is available on the website. Excellent. Yeah, excellent organization. They publish vital signs. Thanks, Lee, you do that. They also publish the Scholarly Journal of Near-Death Studies. Yes. And uh, I would recommend highly their annual conferences, which are a great gathering place for near-death experiencers and information about it. And where there is, 
what, very likely to hear you from time to time. From time to time. <laughs> Thanks, well, Thanks again great. for... Thank you very much for sure. calling in. We really appreciate that. Great to have this crossover information. Very good. Very wow. good. Uh, we just have a couple of minutes left, but can you uh, pick up where you left off about the substances? Yeah, that we maybe? asked a question. If, if anything during their life has reproduced any part of the near-death experience, and the answer is basically no, unless they have another near-death experience in their life. So no doubt even people that have lived their entire life and, and had all that opportunity to see if anything else reproduces their near-death experience, it, it doesn't. Near-death experience is truly a unique uh, type of consciousness. It's a unique experience. And for the near-death experiencers themselves that have had that, uh, they really believe it, is, it, it helps them to understand what lies beyond death's doorway. And it's a wonderful, powerful message of hope and reassurance for everybody that ever wondered about our own death or the death of a loved one. Uh, powerful, powerful evidence accumulating that there is an afterlife, a wonderful afterlife for all of us. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, I want to uh, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Long, for joining us today. And I, um, I want to say thank you to all the people that have called in with their experiences and their comments. I'm sorry that we can't accommodate everyone. Today we've been speaking with uh, Dr. Jeffrey Long about his new book, Evidence of the Afterlife and the Science of Near-Death Experiences, and his website is www.nderf.org. Um, on behalf of all of us from Healthy Options, we hope that you will all be well, and please join us next time for Healthy Options. Thank you.